I'm going to tell you this right now. I think we need a generation of believers with the mindset of not, I'm willing to do what you want me to do as far as calling, but I'm willing to live as you want me to live, regardless of my desires, my flesh, my wants, and where I am in life. And so chapter number two kind of sets a little different tone. Matter of fact, it starts with Artaxerxes and, 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 and Nehemiah standing there in the springtime, right? Go, go chapter number two, it's printing the scene. Things are coming to bloom. Things are coming back to life. Spring is where it springs up and, and you see new, right? Um, I don't know about you, that's one of my favorite seasons of the year, that and fall. Anybody else with me on that? I love to see when everything is changing over to those different colors. Um, you know, uh, we call those that come in town for the autumn and the fall, the leafers, right? They're coming to see it all change. How many of you are a leafer? You will go to the mountains just to watch the colors. Anybody else like that? All right. How many of you love it when it goes from brown to green? All of a sudden, life comes back. One day you're driving down the road and you realize, wow, this is, this is coming alive. Then you realize you got to start mowing and it changes your mind. But the thing is, is you, you got that initial moment that you see like, man, life is happening. And I, I love that that's, that's the season he's in. It's not the experience he's in, but it's the season he's going into. Now, I know that might not mean anything to you, but when I started reading chapter number two and I got to that very first verse where it says, early the following spring, it took me to a mindset of, hey, his circumstances were slave captive in a foreign land, but his season was springtime. New beginning, new start, something about to change. And I don't know, but I, don't, I, I got certain areas of my life that I feel like I'm in that foreign land. Like, I don't know what's happening or how this is going to work out. Yeah, I know it's not where we're going to stay. I know it's not where we're meant to be. And we're not talking a season. Nehemiah is not in a place because of his sin, but Nehemiah is in a place of captivity. Can I tell you this right now? You and I, whether we want to admit it or not, we live in a lost, broken, dying world. No matter how we want to spin it, it's not getting better. You know, uh, we hear global warming, we hear these things, uh, and, and people say, do you believe it? Is it real? I don't know if I want to call it global warming as much as I want to call it Jesus is coming, all right? And at the end, it's going to get worse and worse. And at the end, it's going to get hotter and hotter. At the end, volcanoes are going to erupt, earthquakes are going to happen, and all these things are going to be signs of the times that Jesus is about to come. So understand this, we don't live in an environment or an atmosphere that's going to get better. Now, that's not an excuse to litter, and that's not an excuse to abuse it. Am I right? Don't roll down your window and say, well, the pastor said it's not gonna get better, so here goes my soda, right? Like, that's, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this, we know the world's gonna get worse, and that is why you and I are here. We know Jesus is coming, and that's why we're alive in 2023. That's why we have faith in 2023. That's why God put us on this planet, on this earth, so that we can let people know that, hey, this may be the circumstances of this isn't where we belong, but spring is on the horizon, and things are going to change. At some point, Jesus will come back, and everything will be remade. But let's talk about this. In our life right now, I might not be where I want to be in my career. I might not be where I want to be in my faith. You might not be where you want to be in your relationship. We might not be at the area where we're saying, this is what I want. But what we can do is say that my circumstance does not define the season. And at some times in our lives, I don't know about you, but I can let my circumstance define everything. I can let it get my joy completely gone, my focus completely off, my heart completely broken, and I can fail to realize the goodness of God in my life. And I, I know that as Nehemiah is sitting here, in this, this month of Nisan, the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign, here, here's what it says. I was serving the king wine. We talked about this, hinted on this last week. We're going to pick up with it this week. 
He said, I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Remember last week we ended this saying, hey, um, what, what is your attitude and the atmosphere you're bringing to the workplace you live in? What is the attitude and the atmosphere you're bringing to the home that you live in? What he's saying is, I'm a captive in a bad season, but I don't let the bad season and the captive mind take over who I am. I'm consistent. In other words, let's put this word, ready? Reliable. In other words, hey, every time he served the king, every time he tasted the wine as a cupbearer to see if it was poison, he kept a joy about him. He kept an excitement about him. He kept a reliability. And so can I ask you this question today? Examine your life. Are you reliable? Are we reliable as a church? Now, I'm not talking about in our attendance. I'm talking about in our stance, what we stand for. Matter of fact, if you've ever seen, and we're going to revive these, I was talking with one of our staff leads this morning about reviving our meet and greets with the pastors and, and reviving our classes on our visions. And if you've ever seen our vision statements with the nine things that are on it, you'll find that number one is we're, we dream of a place. This is Grace Community, a dream of a place where the broken, hurting, lost, and confused can find love, acceptance, joy, and restoration. That's the dream of what God's doing here. And sometimes we come in here, and if I'm not careful, I, I can get in the mindset of what's in it for me, and I can forget that this isn't a place for me to come and me to say, this is about me. This is a place for anybody to come, and when they walk through the doors to be greeted as if they are royalty, as if they are somebody that Jesus would die for, as if they're somebody that heaven is craving, that heaven's heart beats for, and that they don't have to wait to heaven to realize the love of God because they experience about 200 versions of his love every time they walk through a service, whether it's nine or 11, they're greeted by 200 plus that are just saying, we love you, we love you, we love you. We are gonna creep you out with the love of God because what God's love is, is very unnatural to the way the world loves you. And we're not in a place to figure out where you were last night. We're in a place thankful for where you are this morning. And we're not in a place trying to figure out what you've been. We're in a place determining and believing in what you can be and will be the moment you believe that God can make you different. God can transform your life. And so as we look at that, he's saying, hey, I was reliable every time I was in the king's presence. Every time he saw me, he saw the same. He saw who I was. And what, how many of you have heard the verse that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so in order for you to be reliable in your countenance, you've got to be reliable in your spirit. You gotta be reliable in who you are. Matter of fact, can we say this? Actors can only act. Actresses can only act so long before they need a break. You can put on a front and a mask a long time, but you can't put it on permanently. And what he said is, I was so reliable that the king could notice when something was off. I, I wrote down four things real quick, but I want you to write down that you have to have to be reliable. Number one, consistency. You know, the same in any circumstance. Now, I, I can't say that I'm that way. Um, the, the one thing that I really need to work on is my temperament, all right? My wife is here. I knew that was gonna happen. Y'all hear that little giggle? All right, that was her. All right? But, but the thing is, my temperament. You know, anybody else in here got a light switch when it comes to your moods? Raise your hands. Come on now. Let my wife see I'm not the only one. All right, like, here we go. That's most. In other words, it's like the wrong sentence or the wrong phrase or wrong facial expression, and tink, I'm totally different. I get the wrong text message, and I'm reading into everything. All right, I know you're in the place like me. You know what? Nehemiah wasn't that way. He was consistent. He had heartbreak in chapter number one, but consistency in front of the king. 
You know what I think, and this is gonna be a real statement. What would happen if the church dealt with its problems before it got to church instead of waiting to get to church to throw them all out? What if, what if, we, what if we were like, okay, in, in, in hiding and in my, my prayer room, which by the way, if you're sitting there saying I don't have a prayer room, um, let me be honest with you, I don't either. But like at my table or at my steering wheel, man, what if that's where I went to God and mourned and fasted and wept over the conditions that I see? What if that was the place that I got with God and said, hey, like David, create in me a clean heart. Renew your spirit within me so that when I walked into the place where people were, when I walked in the place of unbelievers, that they saw the glory and joy of the Lord in my life and in my heart. What would happen if when we came to church, we didn't need four songs to start thinking about Jesus, but the four songs were toward Jesus because we'd been thinking about Jesus all the way to church this morning. What if we as a a, a church realize that it's okay to have problems, but the problem is we want our problems to be our testimony. We don't want the power of God to be seen. And Nehemiah was a broken man, but not in the face of unbelievers. In the face of unbelievers, he was consistent. He He was dedicated. He was real. Number two, not only do you need consistency, you need some stability. Um, anybody ever look in the mirror and say, man, sometimes I don't feel too stable, right? Like, I, I'm not, John raised his hand, but I'm going to let him be the only one that does that, all right? You know, because nobody wants to be known in public as the unstable person, right? Um, one of our praise team members, I'm just going to, we're in the South, so I'm going to say this, is carrying today. And when we were praising in practice, they had it in their front of their, their pants, and they got excited and they threw their hands in the air. And I was like, bro, if you throw your hands in the air and then you look at people and say, put your hands together, they're gonna, they're gonna. <laughs> I mean, you say, put your hands up, they're gonna. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna have to move that thing, right? But the thing is, is listen, um, I, I know that in our lives sometimes, like, you know, and I'm not, he's a very, it was DJ. He's very stable, <laughs> all right? But the thing is, it's like sometimes in life, it's like, I wanna be stable, but I, I don't know how to get to that consistent mindset. That's stable. It's when not just your actions are consistent, but the way you think becomes consistent. And I found this to be true in my life. This is where God convicted me when I wrote this word, stable. If you want stable emotions, you want stable actions, you want stable feelings, you gotta have a stable foundation. I mean, you, you've gotta, I, I was talking to um, uh, Travis this morning. We were sitting on the front row and he was like, man, I had a hard time getting out of bed at like 4.30. And I'm like, why in the world are you getting up at 4.30? He's like, I have to get up at an hour and a half before I, I, I'm going to a place. It gives me time to get my mind ready and to spend some time with Jesus in prayer and devotion. And I was like, you jerk. I hit my snooze 16 times this morning, got up five minutes late, ran out the door without even talking to Jesus, right? Like, and then you're going to sit here and you're going to, you know what that is? It's like, and I know this to be true with Travis and, 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 and please forgive me. It's true with many of you, but for this illustration, let's use him. That is one of the most stable temperamental people I've ever been around. And the fact that I know what I'm going to get every time I'm around him. You know, and I, and I look at that and I think to myself, wow, I wish I could be that. The truth is we can wish we could be or we can train to become. And at some point we got to realize that stable here is stable here. And what I mean is not figuratively or, or literally with your feet, but figuratively with your belief system. If you know what you believe, you can stand on it no matter what's going on around you. 
Jesus knew what he believed about himself and God and stood on the water. Peter didn't know what he believed and started looking around and what happened, he sinks. And when he refocuses his belief and cries out for help, what's he do? He stands on even things that weren't solid to stand on. I'm telling you right now, we need some stability in beliefs and Christianity and the way that we're acting, treating and thinking towards each other. All right, matter of fact, can I tell you this? Write this down. If sin is in the life, stability is absent. Peace of mind is gone. Reliability out the window. So if I want to be reliable, I got to be consistent, stable. Number three, loyal. I mean, how many of you go to work sometimes even though you don't want to? Right? If your boss is in the room, be careful. All right, but like, even though, but the truth is, is they sometimes don't want to go to work. How many of you are self-employed? Any self-employed people in the house today? How hard is it sometimes to make yourself go? Right? You know, it, it, it's hard. You know, how many of you have kids? Raise your hand in the air. How hard is it sometimes to parent, right? Can we be real? And I'm not saying that you don't parent, but don't you ever have the days where you're like, I wish I didn't have to adult today, right? Yeah, but guess what? Is there a day off in that? No, there's not. You know why there's not a day off? You're loyal. You're loyal to that child. Um, we, we were able to get away for a couple days this week in a, a rare occurrence, and, and um, uh, God just gave us an ability to do that. And so one of the things that I got to do with my kids is swim in a pool, um, which if you know me, I don't swim, I sink or I stand, so it can't get over my head. So thankfully, the deep end was five feet, and I can make it by six inches. All right, but the thing is, is uh, we got in the water. One of the things that I did not do in the water was ever get far from my kid. Um, we had Canaan at four, who is afraid of nothing, and Grayson, who is all boy. And, and I, I know this to be true, that even though there's floaties and even though there's goggles, there, there still needs to be a loyalty to say, I'm here for you. Even though you need your independence, I'm still here. If you make a mistake, I'm still here. If you can swim good, I'm still here. I'm loyal to your safety, right? Um, any other helicopter parents in the room today know what I'm talking about, Right? And, and so uh, Wednesday night, I was able to bring my daughter to church. Um, we had a little scare incident, so I was able to go home before I came. And I was like, let me take Canaan. And, and so after church, all the kids run around and play and they do things. And, you know, I, I admire the parents that are just like, yeah, they got this. My daughter goes to the playground and I'm standing and I'm talking to Andre and I'm like, you know, I'm going to stay here for just a second. But I stood to where I could hear the playground and then I saw DJ go to the playground. So now I'm pretending that I'm not helicoptering because somebody else is there. Right. But after about five minutes of palpitations and all kinds of different things happening to my heart, I looked at Andre and said, man, I can't do this. I got to get over to the playground. Like I go over there and I stand and I look. Why? Because in my mind, her safety is what matters most when she's around. That's loyalty. You know, loyalty is saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to give a little bit of myself so that you can be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice a little bit of me for you. In other words, in Nehemiah, I'm going to taste this, see if I die so that you don't drink it and die. I'm going to be a cupbearer that says, I'm, I'm going to take it on. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe the church was designed to point out the sins of the world. I believe the church was designed to get in the way of the darts of what Satan's trying to throw out of people we love. 
You know, and the Bible says that when Satan's throwing his darts, you're standing. In, in Ephesians 6, what's it tell us? Fully armored up. Loyalty says, I have your back. I've got your front. I'm in this for you no matter who you are. I'm going to be loyal to your safety, to your future, to your success. And here's a man, Nehemiah, protecting a man who conquered his city. Here's a man saying, I'm going to make sure you don't get killed. Even though you're the one that has killed my loved ones even though you're the one that's burned down my city, even though you're the one that did all these things, this is where I'm called, this is where I'm positioned, I'll be loyal here. I'll tell you this right now, a lot of people, they, they, they kind of defer their loyalty. They'll be loyal if things work out. No, you find out if you're loyal when things are rough. You know, and so if you're gonna be reliable, it's saying in good season and bad season, I'm consistent, I'm here. I'm there for you. You know, I, I believe this. We have a, a church generation of believers that loves to tell people everything that's wrong in the world, but rarely tells people what's right in the world. And I'm gonna tell you this, as long as there's air in the lungs of believers, Jesus is still on his throne and there is still a powerful Holy Spirit working and doing things. And so no matter how bad it is out there, there's goodness when it comes to the things of God, the presence and the power of God. And at some point of our life, we need people that say, because I'm loyal to him, I'm loyal to you. I'll be there. Remember we said uh, that uh, a Holman Christian Standard version of, of, of Job chapter 614, that, that a despairing man should have the loyalty of his friends even if he forsakes the Almighty. At some point, we've got to say that who I am towards you is not going to be based on where you are. It's going to be based on my stability in him, knowing that God can rescue anybody, deliver anybody, and wants to restore everybody. So here I am believing in your best even if you're at your worst. I'll say this. Please write this in there. If you have an enemy, you're not right with God. Can we say that again? If you have an enemy that's flesh and blood, you're not right with God. You say the Bible says, well, we can't be divided. God's not divided. That's a hard thing for me to grasp because at some points in my life, it's easy for me to get the people I don't like. But the people I don't like are the same people that Jesus loves. And if I'm right with him, then guess what? My heart has to be open to their development. If I'm gonna be reliable, I gotta be loyal. No matter who, no matter where, no matter what, no matter when, I've gotta be consistent, stable, loyal. And here, let's do this, number four. If you're reliable, you're enthusiastic about what you're doing. How many of you like being around somebody who likes being around you? How many of you like being around the person that likes what they're doing? You know, we went through a, a, a McDonald's drive-thru the other day and, and, uh, and McDonald's or Taco Bell, so many fast food restaurants that I visit in a week, it's hard, all right? So, um, and that's changing, but here it is. We went through one of them and the person on the other side of that window was so nice. They were joking, laughing, cutting up, getting it back. And when they shut the window and I rolled up mine, I looked at Jordan and said, it's nice to be around people who like their job. It's nice to be around somebody. What's that make you wanna do? Makes you wanna come back. You know, there's people visiting, maybe even this church today, that are determining whether they're coming back, not what they received from God, but what they experienced in God's people. And if there's not an enthusiasm in God's people, then why would you want to be there? What if you went to the UT uh, Florida game this year and nobody cheered, not once, not a sound? What if the PA system guy didn't even speak except in a monotone thing? What if they scored a touchdown and it was just like, touchdown? And everybody just looked at each other and shook their head. Would you be freaked out by that? I mean, in all honesty, part of being in sports is the excitement 
of the arena, right? Like the excitement of the fans. Yesterday, I was flipping through the channels and all of a sudden CrossFit, CrossFit was having a competition on the TV. And I was so desperate for sports, I watched them. You know what I mean? Like I, I stopped and I watched it. These guys were lifting weights that were just ridiculous. They, their face was so red. I knew they were getting hemorrhoids. They were doing everything they could do to like get this stuff off the ground. And it meant nothing to me. Like anytime I see somebody physically fit, I'm just, you know, I have to watch my jealous and envy. But here I am just glued to it, watching it, because these guys would get this weight like 360 pounds above their head, and then they would drop it, and I was in amazement at how they would, they would raise this high weight and then just drop it where their feet are, and they wouldn't even worry about it hitting their feet, and I kept watching like, how are these guys not getting hurt, and then they'd get done, and they'd be like, yeah, and next thing you know, UFC came on after it, and I'm like, yeah, and I don't even watch this stuff. It's just like, when, when somebody's excited, you pay attention. If you don't believe it, go downtown in Knoxville, find the tallest building, stand at it, smile, open your eyes real big and stare at the top. You'll have a crowd in 10 minutes. Don't say a word. Just be like, what? You know, just look at it with an excitement in your face. Next thing you know, everybody's standing there looking at it and they're making up things that they're seeing. Do you see it? Yeah, I see it. Y'all don't even know what we're looking at. And now I can't see you because I just looked at the lights, all right? But the thing is, it's like, hey, enthusiasm goes a long way. I am so worried about the condition of the church when enthusiasm is less about Jesus than it is about sports. And, and, and I love sports, don't get me wrong, but I, I, I love my family, I love these things. It's like, you know, I love the, 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 the goodness of God in my life, but man, I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I start thinking, we sing that song, All Hail King Jesus, there's one line in there that I about lose my stuff every time we sing it, in one miraculous breath, and everything changed. Can you imagine the moment that the, the, the wrapped body of Christ inhaled one more time, and in that inhale, all of hell freaked out because what they thought they had done and what they thought they had accomplished only set him up to be stronger and more powerful. Yeah. Every sinner they thought they had claimed was now free. Yeah. And they could do nothing about it. For centuries and millenniums, the demons of hell had raged the earth. The Satan of hell had tempted the earth to try to bring him down. And when they had him down and they thought he was out, he inhaled one more time and they knew their best couldn't get it done. And I don't know why, but that should just really get us as a church totally Chuck Norris mindset that we're going to go out there and we're going to kick some tail of what the enemy is trying to do in our homes. Because if Jesus can walk out of a grave, a family can be restored today. A life can be changed today. An addict can get clean. Somebody can get back up. If Jesus can get up, so can you. And if that's the case, then man, shouldn't there be some enthusiasm Shouldn't there be some excitement? Shouldn't there be a, I'm so excited, I don't know what to do, I might slap you. Does that make sense? No, really, not really. Some of you are like, yes, that's not your excitement, that's your vengeance, all right? <laughs> yes, Pastor Josh, sing it again, I'm gonna hit him. No, don't do that. But what I'm saying is it's just like, man, when I realize all the times Satan's trying to take my life out, all the times he's trying to take me down, all the times he's trying to ruin a testimony, ruin a calling, all the things that he has done, and yet God still shows up every time and says, it is not over yet. Man, that should get me moving. I mean, when I think about where I should be and where God has me, there should be some enthusiasm in my life.
I'm not what I used to be, and many of you can say the same. But I haven't yet become what I want to be either. Thank God the Holy Spirit's not giving up and not quitting. Thank God his presence is still there. Thank God you might not have arrived, but you still have a seat at his table. I am thankful for that. So if I'm going to be reliable, say it with me. Ready? Consistent. Stable. Loyal. Enthusiastic. Yeah. He goes in and look at this. He says, hey, the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Here's the next phrase that really got me. Then I was, say it, terrified. I like this next word. But, two words, say them with me. I replied. I sit there and I'm like, God, I'm really scared about some of the things I think you're calling me to right now. I'm really scared about some of the seasons you're taking grace into right now. But do I have what Nehemiah had to say, I'm scared, but that's not going to be my excuse. I'm afraid, but that's not going to stop me. I want you to write this down. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit some of you with this. In the announcements, we said we needed two teachers for Awana. No doubt, no doubt, the Holy Spirit pierced somebody's heart. And in that piercing, the next thing that possibly came into your mind was all the insecurity and fear of reasons why you can't. Like, I, I'm just scared. I don't know how to do this. Or maybe, maybe the thought hits you, well, I'm a visitor. I'm not even a member here. Can I tell you this? Look around the room. I can't tell you who is and who isn't a member. You say, you are not organized. Yes, we are. Our organization, our hope is that we find our organization charter in the Lamb's Book of Life and not on paper. While we do take people into membership, we're, we're not as interested as where you go to church, as where you're going for eternity. And we need you to know Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, you've put your hope and trust in him, made him Lord of your life, and you've accepted the salvation he offers. I don't care who you are or where you're from. What I do care about is, are you ready to see what God wants to do in your life? It's not about where you go. It's about where we're going and who are we taking with us, right? And so I know this. Has there ever been the moment in your life that God stepped out? All of a sudden, you see something happening. You're, you're at a conference or maybe you're listening on the radio and all of a sudden, they start talking about a mission trip. They start talking about it, and your heart starts doing this and you're like, why in the world is this affecting me so much? I can't. No, no, here's what Timmy Nehemiah said. I was terrified, but I replied anyway. I was scared, but I did it anyway. I look at my kids and I wonder what world they're going to grow up in. I am terrified of what they're going to face in the next 20 to 30 years of their life. But I'm going to parent. My wife's going to parent. We're going to put Jesus in front of them. And instead of being scared of what the world can do to them, we're praying in Jesus' name that Satan's scared about what the world's going to get from them as God raises them to be warriors for him. And instead of saying, we're not going to have more kids, we start saying, hey, we're not going to let the sin of a world and the scaredness of a world keep us from creating a family of God that can be a light in a dark and lost, dying world. We're going to raise people up. We're not going to be the church that says, okay, let's conform to performance. Let's conform to entertainment. No, no, no. Let's preach Jesus Christ because I know this at the end of the day. The songs we sing will never change you, but the word of God will change you forever and last forever and be a lasting change and be a foundational change, not just for you, but the generations that are going to come from you. So instead of running from what scares us, we stand and we say, right here, we'll build what God has told us to build. Right here, we'll do what God has told us to do, and we'll trust that through this, God will do something. God will do something. 
I got to wonder if Spurgeon, I got to wonder if Billy Graham in their lifetime saw what was coming into our existence and was terrified. And I thank God that even though, yes, they were probably scared of the future, they preached in the present. And here we are in the future still being ministered to by what God did through their lives. And may it be said of us that we might be scared, but we have not that excuse keeping us from being what God has called us to be. Some of you are the best, most reliable children's teachers. Some of you are the most best, reliable greeters, ushers. Some of you are the most best, reliable business people we could ever meet. But you're letting your fear keep you from being what God has made you to be. I wrote this statement. The task that call and calling that God has given us may terrify us, but it still has to be accomplished. Now, if you're asking for God to give you his will and to make it less terrifying, that's not going to happen. We're not fighting babies and roses and butterflies. and We're fighting demons. We're fighting spiritual warfare that is coming after our generation like never before. But we've been given victory through Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, how many of you have heard this? Um, 2 Timothy verse... Uh, chapter number one, give me verse seven. We're gonna keep reading past verse seven. But how many of you have heard, God has not given us the spirit of, say it, fear uh, and, and timidity is what the NLT says, but, but of power, love, and a, a sound mind or self-discipline. And I want you to understand this and let's break this down. A lot of times I hear people preach this saying that God did not give us the spirit of fear. Now, what this is not saying is that God didn't give us the ability to be afraid. God did give you the ability to be afraid. Please write that down. God did not give you the ability to be paralyzed and imprisoned to fear. And this verse is not talking about you going to work tomorrow. This verse is not talking about you being scared of heights. This verse is not talking about your, your, your fear of talking to people. This verse, look at verse number eight, is actually talking about your fear of sharing Jesus Christ. He says, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. A lot of times we say, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. I've got a surgery tomorrow and I'm afraid God didn't give you the spirit of fear. Is it okay to be afraid of a surgery? Yes, 365 times God tells us not to be afraid. Why? Because he knows you're gonna be. He knows you're gonna go through that. Matter of fact, you can write this down. Fear can be a great thing in your life and it can also be a terrible thing in your life. How many of you would agree with me that, that the fear of standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and hanging over to take a selfie is probably a good thing. Why is there way less of you thinking that than I thought? Maybe we need to, have y'all, have y'all not read last week the guy that climbs the skyscrapers to take the selfies for everybody fell and died? You know why? They were like, he was fearless. I don't mean to speak ill of the dead, but Sometimes we say fear and stupidity in the wrong way. He should have had fear. Fear could be a radar thing. Hey, listen, when you're about to do the wrong thing, you should be afraid. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, is it a fear that God's gonna get me? No, but there's a fear that God's in control of me and God's in control of the world. He controls my destiny. There should be a, hey, you know what? I don't wanna go against him. He's all powerful. I don't want to go against him. Do I believe God's going to zap you today? No, I think God's pursuing you in love. But are there consequences to sin? Yes or no? Come on. Yes. Are there reactions to every action? Yes. Are there certain things you shouldn't say? Yes. 
I see it in men sometimes, right? Um, we'll say something to our spouses, and I've seen this happen. I've done it myself, where we say it, and then the fear hits. Right? Come on, how many of you have been there? It came out, and then you were like, mm-mm. You should have been afraid before. Not afraid of your spouse, but afraid of the damage that words of mass destruction can cause, right? You know, is it, is it a little bit late once it's out there? Once the eyebrows raise, the chin drops, and then all of a sudden, like in slow motion, the eyes come to yours. And you're like, uh-oh. You know, hey, should, should, when, a, when a parent says to a kid, stop, should there be a little bit of a, why? Yes. Not like you're gonna hit me or abuse me, but you're leading and guiding me. Hey, we, we were downtown Chattanooga walking around and I kept telling Canaan, hold somebody's hand. We're by main roads. My fear is not in your inability. My fear is in their distraction. You know, like I just saw three people pass by texting while driving in a city. My fear may not be about what you are. My fear might be about what's around you. I'll be honest with you. It would do us well to have a spiritual fear about the demons that came to church this morning. And you're like, who? I'm not t- if you think who, you have missed the point. If God opened our eyes right now in this sermon, you would never doubt his existence again. If in this moment you could see the demons trying to penetrate and distract the hearts and minds of the people that need to hear this, and if you could see the angels that are warring on your behalf, you'd be at an altar and never again doubt the presence of God. You are not in a physical world. You are in a spiritual world created by a spiritual God that gave it physical attributes. And at some point you got to realize they ain't playing in our house. We're playing in theirs. And we can't see a lot of times the threats that are against us. And you know what? That's not a fear of, oh my goodness, I'm not moving. That's an awareness. Sometimes fear can be a warning light on the dashboard of your life saying something needs checked out. Something needs looked at. If you ain't afraid of snakes, what's wrong with you? Right? I'm just kidding. Just because it's my fear doesn't mean it has to be yours. But the thing is, there's certain things that I should be aware of. So when people preach this, and I, I cannot stand it, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. You know what people do? Sometimes they run off into stupidity because they believe that they shouldn't be afraid. No, fear is a warning sign, but fear also can be an attack. And here's an attack on Nehemiah where Nehemiah knows what needs to be done. He's reliable and has the call of God on his life as a result and knows what needs to be done. And at the moment that he prayed for, go back to chapter number one, not really right now, but in chapter number one, he said, God, let the king have favor on me. And in chapter two, guess what the king has? You know what I found in my life is sometimes I will pray for the opportunity from God and get totally freaked out when he actually answers it. God, give me a chance to share one more time your story. And then he says, okay, here's a microphone. And now I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. God, give me an ability. Give me a moment to to get the word out. And then all of a sudden God's like, okay, here we go. And I'm scared. No, 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 never mind. Last week, somebody was in our second service. If y'all have noticed in the past few weeks, months, 
I've been calling on a deacon, an elder, or usher, somebody that's serving behind the scenes that I want you to meet to come close us in prayer. And, and, and last week, for the first time ever in a service, I, the Holy Spirit just hit me and said, just ask anybody. And so I, I, I oddly, in that moment, thinking to myself, this could go very bad. Can I tell you what is the most dangerous thing to do in a service is to hand the microphone to someone who is in emotion and not spirit. Does that make sense? And how do you know? You got to test the spirit, right? So you got to rely on the Holy Spirit constantly to show you what's right and wrong. You know how you know it's a fear keeping you from an opportunity? It's when you know it needs to be done, but you're scared to do it. You know what that is? An attack. And the Holy Spirit's going to be like, this has to happen. Anyway, we said, we said, hey, uh, who wants to close us in prayer today? And immediately, someone who hasn't been to church in like four years, that they've been going to church, but not here. And four years, shot their hand in the air and ran to the stage. Handed them the mic, they prayed. And after the service, they're like, you have no idea. That whole service, I sat there and I asked God to give me the opportunity to close in prayer today. And in my mind, I was like, Really? Like you literally sat there and prayed, God, let me close in prayer. Wow, I don't think I've ever done that. But here God is saying, here's your opportunity. That's the coolness of the Holy Spirit. Later, my wife shows me a post because I don't have social media of the wife of that man saying for years I've prayed and had a vision of my husband leading a church in prayer and today it happened. Here's the cool thing. For four years they haven't been here, but that Sunday they felt like they were supposed to be here. You know, when you look at it and like, what a cool coincidence, I think, oh my goodness. God, Spirit drew them into a place to, number one, empower him and fulfill her in a place they hadn't stepped in four years. And then I step back and say, whoa, God, what are you, at, what are you working at that I haven't even thought of today? You know, it wasn't about the sermon. They weren't here for the message. Although they said, I needed that man. The Holy Spirit was like, hey, look, I've been calling you. And he said, I was so scared. You know what? And then all of a sudden now, not only, not only are you standing here feeling the power of God in your life because you're seeing God move and answer prayer, that woman just marked you a hero in her life, gave you surrendered authority, and is now willing to follow you anywhere. Why? Because you surrendered. Hey, I'm going to tell you this right now. If fear is the reason you're not serving, then that is keeping you from being what God wants you to be. And that's why it says Romans 1, uh, 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 let's go back, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1, chapter number uh, uh, Verse number eight, let's get that back on the screen. Don't be ashamed to tell others about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for him with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've heard this statement, it's not my own. I wish I could give you the author. The cross we are called to carry is never as heavy as the chains from which we've been set free. We may be called into areas that put us on the edge. I share it all the time. My biggest fear in life is speaking in front of people. God has a really good sense of humor, doesn't he? You know, I have to do it a lot. People say, I never knew that. One of the biggest things that I've struggled with up until I became a pastor was stuttering. And, and, and yet 
somehow God has used ministry to get that stuttering out. I've been to therapists. I've gone through help and could not get rid of the stutter. And then all of a sudden, one day he said, God, I'm going to preach for you. And it's as if it comes back every now and then, especially when I'm talking about it. So now I'm like hyper-focused not to do it. But the thing is, is like God is like always doing things that are miraculous. And you know where he really got me is the story where he's looking at Moses and Moses is saying, I can't speak. Moses is saying, I got a stuttering problem. And God said, good, I don't need your tongue. I just need surrender of it. I'll put the words in your mouth. I'll be the God that leads. I'll be the God that directs. You know what that fear is? A realization that absent the presence of God and the power of God, you can't do it. But you know what the next step is? But I replied an acknowledgement that with God's help, you're going to make it through. So look at this. And here it is. We're out. To accomplish the task, you're going to see God do some amazing things. All right. You with me? Five more minutes. Let's roll. Write these four things down. He said, but I reply, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven. By the way, there's, there's where a lot of us could learn how to talk. Talk to God first before you talk to other people. Right? He's not saying, he didn't say to the king with a prayer to God. He prayed to God and then responds. Hey, God, what? Mm, Tell me, go. Here it is, God. This is the moment. This is your moment. When you get a stage and you get a platform, it is not a moment to make yourself known. It is a moment to point to heaven and say, you've got to know the God I know. You've got to experience the God I experience. You know, let's get this going. And he said, hey, with a prayer to God from heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. You know what I've learned? In order for people to take you seriously, hear you out, and give value to your thoughts and opinions, your reliability has to be there first. He says this, if, you, if, please, if it pleases the king and if you are pleased with me. You know, if your kid has been rebellious and, and sassy and sarcastic all day long and then shows up asking for a 20, what's your response gonna be? You know, like, you know, they're, they're hateful all day, but they want extended curfew tonight. What's your response gonna be? You know, I'm going to tell you this right now. Why would the world ever want to believe in Jesus when the church lives like hell and expects them to see heaven? Why would the world ever want to be in an experience of God's love when every time they've gone to church or been around people, all they hear those people do is tear down other people? Why would they want to know who God is when everybody that knows God acts like they are absent God in the way that they live? If we want a message to go out, the message has to come in first. And it's got to be real in our lives. So look at this, write this down. If we want to accomplish a task, number one, we've got to have a deep passion for the needs of others. He says, the city that I loved and where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. It's broken. Send me to Judah. Let me rebuild the city where they're buried. I mean, I'm going to tell you this right now. Without passion, nothing happens. Nothing. Skyscrapers came from passion. Art comes from passion. Music comes from passion. The best songs, the songs that that you and I will play again and again on a radio didn't just happen in a mindset or a dream. It literally came from the heartbeat of the writer. And as they wrote in their passion and spent hours on their passion, it drew us in. It, it, It created an atmosphere for us. It changed skyscrapes. It changed cityscapes. It changed landscapes. It does all kinds of things. Passion is a powerful thing. You've got to care about the needs of others in order to have passion. If you only care about yourself, then don't be surprised when there's not much accomplishment in the name of God in your life. 
If you care about the needs of others, there's no limits to what God can do for you and what God will do through you. God blesses me and blesses you to be a blessing to others. You know, so in other words, it's like this. Fill my cup so you can spill it where it's needed. Pour into me so you can pour out where it's needed. When David said, my cup overflows, it wasn't so that a mess could be made. It was so that others could have provision too. And if today God has done something in your life, you should have a passion for that to happen in somebody else's. You should have a desire to see that. Number two, look at this, if you would, in verse number seven. He, he goes back down and he says, I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the provinces west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me safely travel through their territories on my way to Judah. And give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest. So he's saying, hey, not only do I need you to let me go because I got a passion, I also need you to provide me safety. So here it is. If you're going to accomplish the task, you've got to have a passion for the needs of others and you have to have a reliance on this God that you serve to give you safe passage. Hey, can I tell you this? Safety does not mean the absence of danger, but instead it means we have the presence and power of God in the face of it. It doesn't mean you're not going to face a Goliath on the way. It just simply means God's there with you. The Goliaths and Jerichos will fall because God is on your side. If God is for us, can anybody finish that? All right, let's do it again. If God is for us, hey, that's the mentality to the call of God. Not, not, this is too big. It's if God is for us, who can be against us? And not only do I have a passion that God gives me for others, and not only do I have a reliance that God's going to give me safety, number three, we have a belief in verse number eight that God's going to give us provision. He's going to make it happen. Libby, he's going to make it happen. And he's going to make it happen in ways that are beyond what you thought. He says, and please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the managers of the king's forces, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. What a, what a statement. You know, by the way, this isn't where the sawmills are like today's, all like manufactured and, you know, you got all these power tools and saws and automated systems. This is hand-cut, hand-carved wood that takes a long time to process and a long time to do. And not only are you asking for provision and resource, you're asking for a guy that tore down the wall to give you the material to rebuild the wall. Hey, King, I know you had to spend resource to take us out, but I'm going to ask for your resource again to build us up. Don't be surprised when God will let Satan fund the ministry that God's going to use in your life. Now, I'm not saying bad behavior and all these other things, but what men mean for evil, God can use for what? Good. Some of your most powerful testimonies are not going to come from your actions, but they're going to come from God's actions towards you when your actions were against him. It's going to come from what God has done in your life. How many of you can today say that God has been a provider for you, whether it be mental, physical, emotional, whether it be financial, in some shape, form, or fashion, he has showed up in a mighty way, in unexpected ways, to meet the needs of your life. Can you testify to that today? Hey, amen to that. When do we forget that? When we stand in front of our calling and we say, how are we going to do this? There's no way we're going to make this happen. What if we just stood before and, and said, okay, God, you do this the way you want to do it. You know, and so not only do we need to rely that God's going to give us safety, not only do we need a passion for others, we got to believe that God's going to provide. Right, how many of you have heard this? If God has called you to it, he will, 
he will get you through it. But if God has called it, he will fund it too. You know, um, our church is like that. I feel like, uh, how many of you remember the story of the prophet going to the, the widow and her son and saying, hey, give me, give me something to eat. And they said, we only got enough for us and then we're gonna eat it and die in a famine season. And the prophet said, God has said to give it, I'm paraphrasing, give it to me. So they made it and gave it to him. And you know what happened? Their barrel never ran out of oil. It never ran out. For the rest of their life and all that famine, every time they went to the barrel, what they thought was gone was always replaced. And I'm gonna tell you this right now. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outserve God. You cannot outlast God. And you do not have near the time that God has to give you. I promise whatever you invest to him, he invests back in a way greater than you could ever imagine. I'm living proof of this, and I know many people can stand a testimony. I hate to say this and talk finances only because some people are in the room struggling financially, and we've been there paycheck to paycheck, and I know that's hard. And I don't want you to get this belief system that if God's not giving you finances, then God's against you. That's not true. Maybe the provision you need in your life is not the bank account. There are some sitting in the room today that if you had money in the bank account, you'd be high, not at church. Am I right? We actually have a guy sitting in our auditorium right now, and it doesn't matter who it is, quit his job because he made too good of money and he could not stop using. It's the first time I've ever looked at somebody and said, that was a smart move. He said, I, I get the money and then I just go, I need to be clean. You know what he's saying? I, don't, I can't trust myself with this. And you know what? Hey, listen, maybe right now a full bank account would be the end of you. So stop thinking that God only needs to put cha-chings in the book. And start thinking that the breath in your lungs could be the biggest blessing God's given you today. The ability to stand, the fact that you OD'd 15 times in your life, but you're still breathing. Hey, God's got a plan for you. The fact that you try to kill yourself a couple times, but you're still here today. Hey, God's got something for your life. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And I'm telling you right now, if you need time to accomplish the will of God, he's got plenty of time to give you. If you need help, God will give plenty of people. David sitting in a cave alone, running for his life, looking at a dead sea in a desert a dry season, prayed and told God he was alone. And 300 men that were in debt and divorced and running from the law came showing up. And another 100 joined them later. And 400 men became a mighty army that nations could not stop. You may feel that you're at the end, but you might just be at the beginning. Don't think for a second. You've got to figure it out and you've got to fund it. You've got a God that if he has said, this is what you're doing, then it will be done trust it. He'll fund it. And number four, not only do we believe that God's going to fund it, just get ready for an attack and a distraction as soon as you get started. Look at this. When I came to the governors in verse number nine in the province from the west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letter to them. The king, I should add, had sent a long army officers and horsemen for protection. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite officials heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. I, I looked up the meaning of these names. We're going to get into them next week. I'm not normally one that says, what's the meaning of this name? But in the end of this chapter, three guys show up to totally try to destroy and stop what God was doing in Nehemiah. You know, one of their names meant the secret enemy and sin. The other one's name meant the provision of God. 
And the last one meant a storm coming. I'm going to tell you this right now. You try to change your life, you step into the call of God. Yeah, you're going to be afraid. I was terrified, but I replied, yeah. But I promise you, there's going to be a hit. Satan's going to try to distract you from what God's called you to or discourage you from what you're doing. Anytime you start something, doesn't it come with a challenge? You don't believe it? Let's start a diet together. How do you think we're going to do? Do you think we're going to go home and be like, Oreos are nasty? Or do you think we're going to go home and be like, I got to get those Oreos out of the house, and the best way to do that's through my belly? Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is my last time. What about, what about this? Do you think if you say, you know what, I want a better relationship with my spouse, that immediately you are going to be master communicators? Or do you think you're going to start working on your communication with your kids or your spouse or your friends, and then all of a sudden your car is going to break down? Then you're going to get a phone call that something else went wrong. You're going to get a phone call that something else went wrong. And now you're so frustrated by the time you got home that, that communicating with anybody is not really an option that you want to be in right now. You don't think that's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to happen. You think the first time you step out and trust God with your tithe that your finances aren't going to get a hit? You think that the first time that you sing on a stage that somebody's not going to say something stupid? You know, like, you think that the first time you let it go and you let God have it, that you're not going to get a critic? Come on now. I'm going to tell you this right now that I want you to recognize as you leave this place today. As you make changes and answer the calls of God, you've got to start recognizing that the distractions and attacks on your life are proof of confirmation of the call of God. Because why would the enemy hit someone that's not a threat? And the moment you step back in to reclaim territory, and that's my prayer for our church in Jefferson County and to the extended counties, but why would we talk about any other county until we've reached this one? My prayer is that we start taking back the ground that the enemy has taken. That we start saying, the homes are in ruins, but God, give me favor so that we can rebuild the walls of our cities so that we can reset the doors of the, of the gates that protect our families, that protect our kids. I don't show up every Monday night to entertain your kids. Matter of fact, Monday nights are exhausting for me. I don't show up Wednesday night to try to entertain our teenagers. Wednesdays are exhausting for me. I come because in Jesus' name, I'm not going to surrender our young people to the culture of a world, to a woke generation. We will raise them to stand in the name of Jesus Christ. And even if we're tired, we're going to believe that in Jesus' name, they can be the next game changers when it comes to reaching people for Christ. So we're going to give. We're not going to surrender. So every week, God, give us a word. Give us something that will rock their hearts. Not towards us. Not, not so that they can go to school and talk. We try to have fun with them, but I'm telling you this right now. I don't want to be known as the most fun place to go. I want to be known as a place you can go and be accepted and see your life change. That's what I want God's name to be here. A place where his name means there's hope for you. There's hope for this generation. And if that's going to happen, then at some point we're going to have to say, I'm going to rely on God. He's going to protect me. He's going to provide for us so that we can meet the needs of others. So come what may. In other words, let the waters rise if you want them to.
You know what the song says? I will follow you. Let him talk. Let him say, oh, you go to that church. Oh, you're that people. Let them call us a cult. Let them do those things. It doesn't matter what they say about the work. It matters about the work we're willing to accomplish. There's always going to be a critic to a person that tries to change their life. You know why? Most don't want to change. But instead of sitting there and saying, oh, you're only this way because you don't want to change, we should be standing there saying, hey, we're going to prove God to you because we're hoping the proof that God does in our life will produce a change in yours. Here's an opportunity. I don't want you walking out of here all charged up saying, let's go, without realizing that let's go means you're ready to fight. Put on the armor of God. Know that the enemy is going to come after you and your family, your kids. Know that you're going to take some hits. And here's the thing about community. Know that you're not alone in those hits. Pick up the phone. Call somebody. Let people know. This past week, I, I called a couple people just to pour out what was on my heart. It got real heavy, and I just needed to get it out. I didn't, they didn't have answers. Nobody had this. I just needed to get it out. You know why? Because I didn't need to just implode. And I don't know about you, but I can get something so on my mind and my heart that I'll fall apart. Anybody else like that? Yeah, anybody can do that. But the truth is, is get it out. You know what I, what I love is, and I told my Monday night class this, and I know I'm on Facebook Live and, and, and somebody might judge this, but um, I've, been, I've been like free from alcoholism for over 16 years now, but... Um, every now and then I get that little urge that I want to get drunk. You know how nice it is to know that that's an attack from the enemy, be able to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, I'm really wanting to get drunk right now and not to have a voice on the other end say, how could you? But a voice say, you know, that's not what God wants for you, but I'm praying, where are you at? How can I get to you? How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? Talk. Now I know a pastor is supposed to stand up here and just only talk about the word of God, but let's talk about real life. Real life means this. I told somebody the other day, don't, don't desire that stage because it comes with the target. Don't, don't seek that spotlight because it comes with the target of the enemy. And sometimes we look and we're like, oh, I want faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Are you really, really saying, hey, I want to go into captivity, be in a foreign land, totally separated from my family in a rule and law where it says it's illegal for me to worship my God? Is that what you're saying? You know, I, I want strength like Moses. Oh, the murderer who was hiding in the wilderness for 40 years keeping sheep literally went from living in a palace, the nicest of the day, to living in the sand. Do you really think Moses liked that? I want, I want faith like Noah, watching all your friends drown, watching all your family members outside of your immediate die after you've preached for over 100 years without a convert. Without one single person saying, okay, I'm going to believe. Do you really want that? We want the results. We don't want the challenges. But I'm telling you this right now, without the challenge, we don't get the result. And at some point, we've got to understand that your calling comes with challenge. It comes with challenge. Don't let Satan throw you off track this week. And the moment you start thinking, well, nobody loves me. Hey, yeah, I'm on the right path because God wants me to go somewhere that Satan doesn't want me to go. Well, I'm not going back there because nobody talks to me. Hey, show back up the next week. The sermon might be, the moment might be, the calling might be exactly what you've been praying for your entire life. You say, well, I, I'm just not going to talk to them. Pick up the phone.
alone because you might get a friend that you've never had before. You might grow a trust that you've never had before. Well, I don't want to tell anybody what I'm feeling. Get it off your chest because God is about to do something in your life. The moment the enemy shows up to try to get you to stop, what you know God is calling you to do is the moment you need to step out. And that's why Paul wrote, God didn't give you the spirit of fear. Don't be ashamed to tell people I'm a child of God. Don't be ashamed to share what God's done. He gave you power to be redeemed, to be changed, to be transformed. He gave you love to be able to stand confidence. He gave you a sound mind to be able to make the right choices. So don't be ashamed of where you've been and don't be ashamed of who God is. Let somebody know today. God didn't give us the fear to say, I can't serve. So if that fear is there, maybe you, like Nehemiah, need to say, I was terrified, but I replied. I didn't let the enemy speak longer than it needed to. Hey, I'll tell you this right now. The way to shut the devil up is to open your mouth and proclaim Jesus. As long as you're letting him do the talking, you'll be stuck. But let God have the power. Let God have the ministry. And watch your life just come wide open. I don't know about you, but I believe that a revival can happen right here in Jefferson County. I believe the churches can unify right here. I believe the Holy Spirit can move and healings and prophecies and things take place in our county that's never been seen before. I was talking to somebody from Wisconsin last week, I think it was Wisconsin, and they were talking about how there's so many churches here. And one of the things, and they said what they were shocked by is people were saying they were sending missionaries to New Jersey to New Jersey. Am I right? Is that it? All right. And, 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 and I was thinking to myself, what they don't understand is I believe the biggest mission field in the world is here because we're so inundated with churches everywhere that we've lost a relationship with God and a reliance on his power and a belief in his Holy Spirit. We have churches in the Bible Belt trying to believe, uh, build a belief system in what the church can do. And I wonder what could happen if a church would stop trying to build their church and start building the name of God. What could the Holy Spirit do? And I believe most people that need to be convinced about the true existence of God today are sitting in pews right here in this county. And if we would be honest and real and open and rely on God, we would see the lost come to God. But Artaxerxes doesn't care about what Nehemiah is going through until Nehemiah becomes reliable first. Now that I know you, I know something's wrong with you. I know something's in you. So be present. Be out there. Let's go. Let's stop asking God to start a revival and let's be one. To where we care of others. To where we say right here, my neighborhood, my street, my home, I'm going to make Jesus known. Stand with me and grab somebody's hand. Let's close in a word of prayer. We'll say goodbye to online. Hey, listen, I, I hope you'll receive that. That's meant in love today. I, I know that you normally don't want to end with a challenge of Satan coming at you, but I think you need to have an understanding that that's coming. And I think you need to be ready, and I think you need to realize that, hey, Satan only tries to stop what God has going. 